Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. I am David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is Don't Miss This. It is a little video series we do every week where we um, talk about some of the things that we love from the chapters that are in Come Follow Me, that we're, they move right along with each other. Yeah, and this week is as many chapters as we've ever done before. <laughs> yeah, look at it. It's the entire Bible <laughs> in, one, in week. one week. So Matthew 21 to 23, Mark 11, John 12, Luke 19 through 20. Most of these are overlap stories. Um, except for a couple unique things that we're going to talk about when we get into it. So let's rock and roll. And the first one, well, listen, y'all, everyone's going to think that we're doing a rerun series of Easter because now we're getting into the Easter section, right? The Easter section. We've already talked about it. We're going to kind of leave it. If you want to know more about Easter, go over to LDS living YouTube page and you'll find all the Easter right. videos there, but he can't resist one part. Okay. This part, it's one of my favorite parts of all of Easter week. And it happens at the beginning of Matthew chapter 21. It happens in all of, everybody wanted to talk about it, right? So why shouldn't we again? And it's what is called the triumphal entry. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem for that final week, um, that last holy week that will like, what's the like? Lead to. Yeah, lead to. Oh, it's uh, like a word. I don't know. Yeah, but anyways. Gethsemane, yeah, the cross, all of those and things in Easter and all Sunday. Those this is the beginning this is of that the last moment. week. Yep. So he rides in, and as he rides in, as you'll remember from all of our Easter studies, the crowd gathers, everybody comes. Um, it's, a, it's a festival day, uh, feast time, so that means like foreigners are there, everybody's here. And they're all gathered together. And as he rides in, those who know who he is lay out their cloaks and they cut down branches and they climb on roofs and they wave them and they shout Hosanna, um, which is uh, an exclamation of adoration um, for him as he rides in, particularly his role as Savior, because the, the word Hosanna actually is a cry for help. It's a cry to, to be saved. And, and that's what they're adoring him for is his role as, as Savior. And I love thinking about that word Hosanna as a one-word prayer. That everybody who was gathered in those crowds, um, if you think about gathering a whole group of people together, wouldn't it be so interesting to know every single person's story in that entire group? For um, several years as I served as a bishop, um, I was kind of on the inside of a lot of those stories. And it was interesting at times to sit on the stand and look out over the congregation and just know like who needed help in their marriages and with addictions and and with depression and anxiety and and worries and doubts and and Where just the hard things for yeah and, and, and so heavy loads. and usually people don't know that and so here's this crowd of people who they're gathered as a crowd but and they might be shouting hosanna in unison but individually each of them have a story um, and, and and they're crying for help they're crying to be saved and and we just have a spot and i think it'd be a neat if you didn't do this on easter week particularly it's like to just ask this question like where what is your cry for help and where do you need help in your life and what is powerful about this story and is true about all of our lives is jesus rides in triumphantly hmm. so where do you need him to ride into where do you need him to come in as triumphant king 
because he can, is able to help and to save. And so I, I hope that you'd be, you know, take that pattern mm-hmm. and, and cry for that help and invite him into a, a marriage that's struggling. Invite him into um, something you're dealing with in, in relationship with a, a child or a friend. Invite him into your addiction problem. Don't, remember Adam and Eve started off the whole beginning scene of the Bible hiding from the very person who can help them. Um, and, and I love that these people are just out on the streets. And inviting them in. And if that's something that really calls to you, maybe you write that word Hosanna somewhere where you can just see it every day and remember that it was that exclamation of adoration and that call just for holy help right. in their life. Mm. Because that's what Hosanna becomes. It's just that that holy help that only he can bring and the deliverance that he has promised. He has promised it. We can expect that in right. our lives. Right. Uh, so good. So we just had to talk about that again just because that will be our story. Uh, that will be the, you know, mm-hmm. what's common among all yeah, of us. Whether is, it's Easter or not. Right. That's, I, our, I need, that's our... I need help. Mm-hmm. And he can ride in. And you can welcome him in by calling out to him in prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first things he does when he gets into Jerusalem is he cleanses the temple. It seems like maybe he rides right into the temple to cleanse it. And this is such an interesting story. Um, mostly because this is a very, very different Jesus than we see in a lot of places. (laughs) Like one chapter before he's blessing the babies and now all of a sudden he's kicking over cages and, you know, he's got a whip in his hand Mm -hmm. and you're sort of like, whoa, I was teaching this once in seminary and had, um, somebody raised their hand and said, you know, I just don't really like this story. (laughs) And I was like, how come? And he's like, well, that's just not a very Christ-like thing to do. And I stopped. I was like, wait a second. You know this is Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> so like everything he does is actually Christ-like. You know, like he walks Christ-like. So, but you know what they're actually saying is like, well, this is super different from what we know. Yeah, the Jesus that I've seen, and so it's it's worth looking at. First, we should say that the whip was for the big animals that can only be moved with a whip. So he was a whipping people. Don't look at that Carl Block painting where he like looks like he's gonna whip off the guy's head. But he comes in, and what you have to know is um, there's a little drawing of the temple here. You can see it on right here. Um, the temple had an uh, an inner. Oh, I'm still on the video. That's nice. Yeah. Had an inner court. You know, the holy place and the the most holy place and the holy place, and then. Only the Levite priests and those who were Jews were allowed into this inner court. Um, the Gentiles, or those outside the faith, and women were allowed in this outer court right here. And this whole area is about, if you've ever been to Temple Square in Salt Lake City, it's about um, uh, 20 times the size of Temple Square. It was gigantic. This whole area is so big. And so um, this is where all the selling would happen. And especially during a festival or feast time, this area, this outer court would have been just... Because you should explain, what are they selling in there? What could you sell? So they're selling animals in there because what people would do is the way that they would make connection with God, the way that they would symbolically you know, represent Jesus covering them in, in their sins was to offer an animal sacrifice. But people were coming from far away... And you had to have very specific types of animal sacrifices. According, according to... The law in Leviticus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it had to be a male lamb that was first born without any blemish. And so... Um, or it could be a dove if you didn't have if enough you, money. Right, if you didn't have Or to, um, sometimes it was a... A bull. Yeah. Like there's so... If it was a peace offering, if it was a sin offering, if it was a heave offering, all different offerings according to what you were going to do 
that would be available to purchase on the outside of the temple. Right. So now nobody, it wasn't dictated by law that those things had to be sold there. But um, that is just what ended up happening. That was the tradition of the day is that they were being sold in this area. So you'll notice that he comes in in verse 12. This is Matthew 21, 12. And it says, and he cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple. So he didn't like that. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now, um, the money changers were if you came in uh, from out of town, um, you would try and buy a sheep or say or something like that. And they would say, oh, well, this sheep costs. And they were actually overcharging for what the normal cost of what that would be. They were taking advantage of people who were trying to make connection with, with God. God. And so they would, and, and the people had, this was the only way. This was it. Mm -hmm. This was the center of worship in, in their life. And it's, it would be like somebody overcharging or charging anything yes. for the sacrament, you know, or something. Yeah. But they, um, and then when they tried to buy it, they would say like, oh, you have to buy temple money because temple money doesn't have any image of Caesar or any image of a Phoenician God or, or something like, you know, like that is very specific temple money. So when you would go and exchange your money, the exchange rate was also extortion there too. So hmm. the temple is actually becoming a really, really big money-making business. And it was all making money off the sacrifice of the Lord. And so he walks in and loves the money changers and the animal sellers as much as he loves anybody else. But perhaps the only way to get their attention is to flip tables over, right? And, and, and he makes a scene. There's not anybody there who doesn't know that Jesus is not happy with what is going on inside the temple, particularly, and maybe because of this. Um, when you notice, he says in verse 13, well, let's, let's just like notice this real quick. The seats of them that sold doves in verse 12. It's interesting that meant that animals mentioned specifically because that is the animal that was used if you were too poor to offer um, a sacrifice of any other kind. And so if you remember when Mary and Joseph come and offer their offering, when Jesus is born, they offer turtle does because they're a really poor family and couldn't afford it. So in particular, maybe he's a little bit um, extra upset about the fact that they are taking advantage of the poor people. Mm -hmm. At this time, maybe Joseph has passed away. A lot of Bible scholars, historians think Joseph has passed away. And maybe he's thinking about his poor mother who's a widow that maybe her only sacrifice mm -hmm. that she's able to afford. And it's interesting that when Jesus was, an offering was offered, when Jesus was a baby, that Mary and Joseph were most likely taken advantage of. At that time. At that time too. Well. Mm -hmm. So comes in, but look what he says. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer or a house of connection with God. And he says, but you have made it into a den of thieves. And if you think about what lives in a den, that is for lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> oh my. Right? Like a den is something that you do not feel comfortable going into, right? Because mm -hmm. there is danger in there. And he says, this is supposed to be a place where people find peace and where people find connection with me. And all of you have turned it into a place that is keeping people out. The poor are not allowed here. Um, those who are not of our faith are not allowed here. Like they've turned it into a place where people feel uncomfortable coming. 
And once he cleanses it, if you look in verse 14. This is the best part of the whole story. Right. It says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So Jesus was cleansing in the temple what was keeping people out of the temple. And think about, I mean, there is so much power in that simple verse because Someone who is blind would not have been able to make their way through what was happening in there. There's just too much going on. Chaos. It would have been Yeah, they couldn't even come in. in Like they were seriously could not come in there. And same with someone who was lame. There would not have been room to carry them through. And the work of the temple wasn't supposed to be money. The work of the temple is healing. That's what God does in his house. And it's so amazing that what he points out to you is he removed the business of the temple so that those who weren't able to get in the blind and the lame which which would represent everybody who was coming seeking for healing and that's what was offered right and i just think that that is still a call from jesus today not so much of a, a just but like is there something happening in the way we speak and the way we act or traditionally that is keeping people out where people feel like it, that's a dangerous place or they feel uncomfortable or even that they're coming in as prey <laughs> you know that they're coming in as something other than to find connection and peace and I, I, I think he would want us to ask ourselves like are our homes are our churches places where anybody would feel comfortable coming in and I love too just that message and it's good for each of us to think of that as we think about approaching the temple um, that a lot of us do go there blind at times in our lives when we feel like we can't see what are we supposed to do next. Or um, same thing with lame, that we, what's the next step? How do we even walk into the next place? A lot of times we enter the temple with that in mind. And I love that it's just that reminder that my house is a house of healing those things. And in those moments when you feel like you can't see or you don't know what direction to walk, um, come come to this place and there will be healing there and there will be Jesus there and yeah. that's so good it's awesome so um, once he enters in that temple on this last holy week he's going to spend the next two days doing a lot of teaching so um, the next story that we're going to talk about is probably right there in the outer court where he's teaching where he gets approached by this by this lawyer and um, and, and a lot of stories will tell in next week's video too all happen. Um, while they're while they're there in the temple, some parables and some teachings from him that and a lot of us are familiar with. A lot with. of that teaching takes place right Just in, in the outer, outer court. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really neat. So let's go there. Should we to this um, the great command, which is in the um, Matthew twenty-two? So he's sitting somewhere in the outer court in this crowded courtyard, and um, and and has I don't even remember what verse it's at. Okay, uh, thirty-six, yeah, thirty-five, thirty-five or thirty-six, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the one who comes in 35, it says, is a lawyer, which means somebody who understood the law, the law of God or the scriptures really, really well. It would have been his profession to Mm -hmm. know them really well. Comes with a question, not a sincere one. It says, master, which is the great commandment in the law, right? Of all the 600 laws in, in the Torah and the oral tradition, he's asking him, which one is most important, uh, above all the rest of them? And the answer is so simple. And the Savior says in 37, to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. That's the first and great commandment. And the second one is like unto it. 
equal, I think, in importance. Mm-hmm. Is what he means by that. To love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, those, and he says, on these two commandments hang all the law of all the prophets, of everything that we've been, we've been trying to teach. This is it. Love God and love people. And, th- and that is it. And interestingly, right after this, you know, all these people who were doing temple things, you know, maybe they could justify and say, well, it's because of our love of God. You know, it's like, well, if your love of God causes you to injure people, then, then we, got, we got to rethink mm-hmm. that, right? Love God and love people, both those commandments together. Mm-hmm. And, and on both of those hang all the law and all the prophets. Everything he teaches comes back to those two things. I think it's interesting because if you look up um, the Greek translation of the words heart, soul, and mind, it just gives you an understanding of what this love um, that he's talking about might look like. Um, Heart talks about all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, even all of your brokenness. Isn't that Mm. interesting that it's, it's, you're going to love him with everything, even, even the broken part of you. Um, Soul would talk about your spirit and also your breath, right? So it's just your, um, it's with every breath and with everything that is inside of you. And then I love this one. Mind would signify deep thoughts, imagination, and understanding. So when you think about how should you love God, it's neat to go through and look at this with all your thoughts and your feelings, and even in your brokenness, with your spirit, with every breath you take, with all of your deep thoughts and the imaginations and every bit of your understanding, love God with all of that. Mm. And what would that look like if we were to go through and think about that? I mean, that is deep love. Right. Yeah, that's your that's your whole self in love with God and worshiping God, and it's it's just a beautiful way of looking at what would that look like, and as and we, also that just that idea of like where John will say later in the New Testament that we love Him because He first loved us, and and if you want to think about how does God love me with all of His heart, you know, mm-hmm. with all of His soul and with all of His mind, like this is a reciprocated love. Well, and Back even think of that word brokenness. And when we think about the sacrament and he broke, um, you know, we break that bread in remembrance of that him being love broken of him being for broken us. for us. Mm. So it's just, that's a really neat um, come full circle. Um, this is a scripture that um, just has, these verses have a lot of meaning in my life. Some of you know, um, many years ago, we brought a boy into our home who was struggling with a lot of things going on in his life and just just battling a lot of hard things including bad decisions and um, addictions and just struggling in life and that decision to bring him in was a hard decision it's something that we prayed over and just felt really prompted by the lord to bring him into our home and so we did but it wasn't easy it was hard and it's something that we we worked at we all did our family worked on it and garrett worked on it at the beginning as we tried to figure out what that relationship looked like and we had so many long conversations um, at the beginning for him trying to figure out how did he fit in and what was that going to look like and some days were really good and i'll be honest and if garrett was here he would tell you the same thing some days were really bad And I'll never forget, um, just after a particularly hard time, I had the opportunity to go to BYU. And the Heinrich Hoffman art exhibit was there at the time. And we went with a lot of people. 
down there and that afternoon had been really, really a hard afternoon and I just was in the place of trying to figure out what were we supposed to do with Garrett? What were we supposed to do? And I, I had so much on my mind that I couldn't even pay attention to what was going on and it was crowded. If any of you went, you know, it was so crowded and you put on earphones and you were supposed to walk picture to picture and your earphones were trying to tell you something at every picture and it was too much for me. And I looked over in a room and there was just one picture hanging all by itself. And no one was at it because it was kind of a smaller picture compared to all the rest of the exhibit. And you could choose on your earphones to turn on music. And so I turned on music and I went and stood in front of the picture. And this happened to be the picture that I was um, standing in front of. As I stood there looking at it, I just kept asking the same question, um, which was, what should we do with Garrett? And um, the spirit would answer back so quickly. It was one of those times when the spirit was just so... Um, I could, I could tell exactly what was happening and the spirit would say back, just love him. And I would say back to the spirit, we do, we do, we love him. But what, what should we do with him? Like, what is he going to do? What is going to be his job? What is his career path? What, is he going to go to college? Is like, what's going to happen in his life? I don't know where he should work. I, what if he never gets married? What is going to happen in his life? And all of those thoughts would go on in my mind. And then I would ask the question again, what should we do? with Garrett and immediately the answer would come back just love him and again I would say we do but then I would go through all of these choices and the hard things that were happening and the decisions and what if we can't recover from it and what if we can't move past it and so then I would ask again what should we do with Garrett and again just love him and after a good half hour of standing in front of that picture I thought to myself well that is what I'm gonna have to do I'm just gonna go home and I'm just gonna love Garrett that's that is all I can do. I'm not going to worry about if he's ever going to go to college. I'm not going to worry about if he can ever hold down a job. I'm not going to worry about if he ever gets married. And I remember thinking to myself, Garrett might live with us for the rest of his life. And that is all right. I'll just love him. That's what I am. That's all I have to do. I just have to love him. Well, those of you who know the story well know what happened. And those of you who don't, go look up um, Utah's Blind Side on YouTube and you can read the whole story in a lot less time than I'll be able to tell it to you. <laughs> but um, several years after that date in that museum, it was Christmas. And I had kind of forgotten about that experience, honestly. We had come home and life had moved on. And interestingly, a lot had changed in that time. Um, Garrett had um, decided to go play football at a junior college. He did really good. By the time he was done with those two years, he had offers to over 30 schools in the United States. He was the most highly recruited junior college player in the United States that year. He had gotten married. Um, they had a tiny baby and he um, was just getting ready to um, commit to the University of Utah where he would play college um, football and go to school and do so well in his classes. and. And I was shopping for Christmas presents. It was December. And you know how your computer knows you really good? It just does. <laughs> creepy. And, a creepy. And I had been shopping. And just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this picture just showed up in the right-hand side column like it does. And as soon as it showed up, immediately, the first words that came to mind were, what should we do with Garrett? And all of a sudden I thought to myself, oh my gosh, can you imagine he had gone to three years, two years of college at that time, he would go to three. He had married this darling girl. They had this beautiful baby. Um, he was doing well in school. He was doing well in football. Everything had fallen into place and I hadn't done anything 
except for just love him. That's what I had done. I just loved him. And God took care of all of the rest of the things. He did it all by himself. And I think we have to remember the power of love, the power of loving someone well. And that doesn't mean, and Garrett would tell you this, it doesn't mean you don't have boundaries and it doesn't mean you don't have strict rules and it doesn't mean you don't stay up late at night and have hard discussions and hard conversations. And it doesn't mean that there is not a lot of molding of the heart that takes place. But there is a power in truly loving someone for who they are that can change lives. And I think it's because when we, when we love someone well, we invite God into that relationship through the power of that love. And um, I just have such a strong testimony of those two commandments. I love when you look at this picture because if you look at it closely, you can see Jesus has two fingers up. And if you go online and you study why did the painter paint him with his two fingers up, there are a million different reasons why people think that that happened. I'm going to tell you what those two fingers mean to me every time I look at this. And it is just simply that the first and the second commandment, love God and love people. And it reminds me every time I look at it that when we choose to do that, miracles happen. That's just what happens when we follow those commandments. Everybody wishes you could hear the amen. (laughs) (laughs) It really is true. It's a good story, isn't it? Well, it's just a good, like, that's it. That's it. It's so simple. Yep, just like, love. Like, the concept is simple. Practicing it kind of just causes a stretch of the heart and soul. But love God, love people. Mm-hmm. Like, like, everything hangs on it. Yep, everything. Everything, everything does. You know? Um, okay, we're going to end with this story, which is actually one of our favorite stories. Oh, it's yeah. such a good story. It's over in Luke chapter 19. And we're going to go back to that theme that we have talked about a million times, and we are going to talk about it forever. For as long as you know either of us, we will be talking about this. (laughs) And it is this. Jesus will meet you where you are, and it doesn't matter where you are. And, you know, we were just talking about Garrett, and where did Jesus meet Garrett? On a curb in Lehigh, Utah. And um, everywhere you go in these stories, you are going to watch Jesus meeting people where they are. And this story is no different except for the places a little different. Like you're like, oh, that's interesting. Um, But it's such a great story. Okay, so Jesus comes in, this is Luke 19, into a place called Jericho where the walls came tumbling down once upon a time ago. And there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a chief publican or chief tax collector, which means he's over a bunch of other tax collectors. And what you gotta know is in Jesus's day, a tax collector is the thug, man. So this is, Thug Life Central. Nobody, nobody does. And he makes money off of collecting taxes and being in cahoots with the Roman Empire. And he just is like top of the totem pole, like financially and socially, but bottom of the totem pole to to the Jews. Like they just would have want nothing to do with him. And let's say this right now. Can can we push pause? Pause. Okay. Let me just say this because we get a lot of comments about this. We love this story so much which is true about every story in the scripture. (laughs) And there's parts of it we both love and we don't want to miss any of it. And so we're probably going to talk over each other for this whole story because we are going to give you every single bit of information we have ever learned about this story. And sometimes you worry that we interrupt each other. But just so you know, we're not upset about interrupting each other. We interrupt 
to each other all day long. So when we get going really fast and we start talking over each other, that's just what it looks like if we were on the phone talking to no each other. No one leaves crying. No one's sad about it. We're just going to give you as much about this story as we can. So we're talking okay. about this rich man, and I just want to add one thing right here. You would think he would be happy because it tells you he's the chief position in his job. Yep. And it also tells you that he's rich. Um, and, and in our society, probably the same as theirs, that, that's, isn't that what everyone wants? Status yeah. and money? And then you're happy, right? That should bring happiness. And so it's interesting because he's actually not. Right. In fact, we don't see the word joy until the very end of this story. Go ahead. Okay. Then. <laughs> so in verse 3, it's interesting because he wanted to see Jesus. He heard about him. He was there in his city. But he couldn't because of the press. Um, a crowd of people that was around him. And Zacchaeus was a little short guy. Yeah, you love it. He was short. And just think about this press for a minute because I think this is a really important part of the story. Um, that Jesus had enough popularity now that people would kind of come together in the streets and gather almost as if it was a parade. So that's what you're imagining is someone has said Jesus is coming. Everyone's coming to see. And this little man Zacchaeus comes running down and he, he wants to see him but he can't because of the press. And every time I read this story, I ask myself this question. Are we the press that won't let others see Christ? Have you ever been somebody who is not allowing somebody else to see Christ? And, and it's important to think about that. This story has so many self-questions that, you that you're just yeah. like, okay, what could I learn about um, this? So Because I remember hearing this one time and thinking something similar where it was just like, wait a second. It was the press that kept him from seeing Jesus. It was the church folk mm -hmm. that were actually keeping him yes. out. And I remember thinking about that one day and then the next Sunday, I, and I, I was just sitting there and sacrament meeting ended and I watched the press move out of the sacrament room and get on to what they had to do and where they had to be. And I just thought to myself, what if there was someone in here who was here to see Jesus? They like they would just get lost in the press of like everybody doing mm -hmm. all the church things, you know, that and, and, and would have been overlooked and would have yeah. not been it's seen. Just so it's just important so important to think, don't, like, don't let me be the press. Let me be someone who says, here, let me bring you closer so you can see, rather than someone who is keeping someone out of that opportunity. But he didn't need them because in you the next verse, you love, right he now. runs ahead on the path and he climbs up into a sycamore tree to see him. Because he knew he was going to pass that way. And you just love that there is this little man who is the And he's chief. dressed nice. Yeah. He's right? in an he's Armani suit. You know? Yeah. And he climbs a tree to see him. And I love thinking about the fact that no wonder Jesus said to have the, the faith of children. Because it takes sometimes that childlike whimsy and courage mm -hmm. and thinking outside the box. Yeah, to be it really does. Because him. you have to ask yourself, do businessmen climb trees? Do grown men climb trees? I mean, have you seen one? Am I one? Have you climbed a tree lately? Yes. Oh, well, look for him. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm considered grown up yet. Okay. Um, then this part. Jesus came to the place and he looked up and he saw him. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, by name, hurry up and come down. Today I am abiding at your house. And, uh, and he hurried down. And came down and received him joyfully. And there's where you see that joy. Finally, you see um, that he's happy. 
And it's just interesting that by the time he's done with that conversation with him at his house, Zacchaeus is willing to give four times the amount of money that he gives to the poor. Just that one conversation with him changes his changes everything. And y'all, there would have been some chatter in the town about Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. Like mm-hmm. He should have gone to um, some a ruler of the synagogue's house or this righteous person or, or that person whose kids have all iron shirts. You know, but Jesus goes to this thug's house. And abides within there, and 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 there's a change, like a, a change happens in him just by one afternoon with him. Mm-hmm. Everything, so everything is different. And, and I think it's important as you look at it and think. Um, I love that he looked up because he knew Zacchaeus was in the tree already, right? He knew where he was, and he looked up. He calls him by name. It is so personal in that moment, and tells him, "You come down. I'm coming to your house today." And you love that as they get there, and Zacchaeus is like, "Let me tell you." This is what I do. You know, I give fourfold to the poor. And I, if anyone says anything false to me, I fix it. That is who I am. As if Jesus doesn't already know <laughs> that's who he is. And you love, um, it kind of goes back to what we talked about last week, um, the boy, when he was like, what good things should I do? And it's almost as if he's like, those are all good. But because I am here today, salvation came to your house. Mm. You know, again, it's just about Jesus. It's about inviting him in it's about going to the places where we could find him and he can find us also and we love this question we ask it every time we teach this story where is your sycamore tree where is the place that you go to to have those one-on-one experiences with the lord and if one doesn't come to mind quickly take some time today to think where should yours be um, everyone's is going to be different. We love um, if you go on a tour to Nauvoo and you um, go to the mansion house and climb up the ladder in the bedroom, that little attic place would have been Joseph's sycamore tree. And I think each of us can find a place like that where we just we have that one-on-one time with the Lord where we talk to Him and that's where our joy comes from. Right. That's awesome. So you just see both commandments, both the two great commandments like coming out in the story of Zacchaeus, like doing whatever he can to connect with the Lord and then the way that he treats other people. And he says, that's it. That's, mm-hmm. This is it. This is just the simple, you know, that is the gospel in its simple beauty. Mm-hmm. Love God and love, love people. people. And you love and, verse 10. We have to end right there with this love God and love people. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus might have thought he was lost up in that tree, right? In a in that place up there. But Jesus sought him out and he brought that saving to his home and he'll do it he'll do it for all of us. Yeah. He planted that sycamore tree for him years before he knew he would ever need it. And it was there for him and I just love that yeah. by name. Yes. Right? Knew where he was. Even in a tree. Yeah, and and the most unexpected person in the whole story. Mm-hmm. Everybody would have been shocked that that is who he was seeking for. That is who he was looking for. And that's who he wanted, whose house he wanted to go to. Right. Mm-hmm. So you might feel like that person, right? It's like, I'm not a person, you know, good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not a person that he would want to seek out. I'm not a person who's got all my, all my things together, you know? Um, but Jesus shows again and again and again, right? I will flip over tables to make this a place where you feel welcome, mm-hmm. where you can be healed, where you can come in, where you can be loved. Yeah. You know, so that's good. just his story. Okay, everybody. Okay, good week. See you next week. 
This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.